Well, it's Advent time, which means arrival or the coming of the Lord. And I love this time of year for so many reasons, um, but mostly because as if we don't focus on Jesus enough around here, but it really is all about him. If you agree, say amen. So get your Bibles. I want to hear those pages turning or at least see those phones open. And I, I want you to get in the word. I want you to see the words yourselves to Isaiah chapter 9. So I'll just wait for you for a second to get there. Really excited to get into the word this morning. And uh, this is going to be awesome. When you're there, just say amen at me. We're going to walk through Isaiah 9. So what we're going to do, our, our four-week little series, we're going to walk through um, I was joking when I said hope, joy, peace, and love. Uh, I can send you that. I, I have a whole uh, beautiful thing that uh, our friends at Practice in the Way wrote up about that. If you're looking for devotions this Advent season. Um, but what I felt the Lord say is I want you to walk through each description that is given to Jesus and what are their implications for us. So We'll read this passage. I'm going to start in chapter 8, verse 19, because that's the context. How many want to grow this year and in the year that's ahead of us in the Word? Who, want, who wants to grow in their understanding of the Bible, their love for the Bible? Anyone out there who wants to just become a, a, a student who knows how to read it, knows how to find God in it, knows how to connect the dots? Um, we had a beautiful community group on Wednesday night at our house and just really put it in my heart to really... Um, slow down and to go deeper so that when, when we go wider, there's a whole bunch of people in here that can carry weight in the kingdom of God. And the best way to do that is to become people who are grounded in this, the word of God. So Isaiah chapter eight, starting in verse 19. When someone tells you to consult mediums or spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Why consult the dead on behalf of the living Consult God's instruction and the testimony of warning. If anyone does not speak according to this word, they have no light of dawn. Distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land. When they are famished, they will become enraged and looking upward will curse their king and their God. Then they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom and they will be thrust into utter darkness. This is our very happy Advent passage. How many know the light with which Jesus brought into the world was a world that was trapped in utter darkness? So when we think about his first coming, which is what we mean by Advent, coming or arrival, it also is that we're looking forward to his second coming, his second Advent and arrival. And we know that we are in days of, of great distress, great hunger, great dismay. And in this picture, what's so tragic, what Isaiah is prophesying is when all of the stuff hits the fan for the people of God, instead of looking up and out to Yahweh and to his law and to his covenant word, they're consulting spiritists, mediums. They, they've completely forgotten, to borrow from the psalmist, the rock from which they were cut. 
They forgot their dad. They forgot their father. They forgot their savior who rescued them from their bondage to Egypt. They forgot the one who wooed them and, and, and provided for them along the entire wilderness journey. They forgot the one that all Moses had to do was speak to a rock and water gushed forth. They forgot the one who fed them the very food that angels eat, the manna. They forgot. And in the, in the, in the, in the hour of great gloom and darkness, they're looking down and within, which is... Instead of blessing God, which we sang this song, Bless God Today, they're cursing their king and their God because of how dark, hopeless, and helpless it is for the people of God in this hour to which he's writing, which is in the 700s approximately um, B.C., and the northern kingdom of Israel is about to be uh, exiled by the, by the Assyrians, the superpower of the day. So it's dark. They're about to lose their land the enemy's breathing down their neck. And again, instead of looking up and out and calling on God, they're, they're looking for all of these counterfeit ways to find a solution for a problem they can't fix on their own. Has anyone faced a problem they couldn't fix on their own? Two choices, look in or look out and look up. So that's the context. And that's the context in which Jesus came his first time. And I'm convinced it, in, in our hour of darkness, his light, is as bright and shiny and necessary. Going on. Nevertheless, how many like chapter 9, verse 1? Besides that, one person here in the front. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. For those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, right on the shore of the, of, the Gal- of the Sea of Galilee. But in the future, he will honor the Galilee of the nations by way of the sea beyond the Jordan. Verse 2, this is so powerful. The people walking in darkness have seen a great, great light. And on those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as a people rejoice at the harvest as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the days of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressors. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning and will be fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And here's where we're going to walk through all four weeks of Advent. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This is the word of God. Can you say thanks be to God? Lord, I just thank you for this passage. It's meaty, it's poetic, it's historic. It meant something to the original hearers and it means something to us 2,900 years later. I, I, or, or so, I don't, the math may be off a minute there, but I just thank you, your word is alive. Jesus' is coming is as 
awe-inspiring, glorious today as it was when he was born of the Virgin Mary. Father, I just thank you so much for opening our eyes to, your, to the Bible, opening our eyes to the one that the scriptures all point to, which is Jesus, and then Holy Spirit coming and taking it from our heads, knowledge, into lived experiential reality, into our hearts, and then out into our hands with, with actions and attitudes inspired and, and empowered by the Holy Spirit. God, this is the process you want every one of us to grow in when we come to your word, that it touches our, our head, our heart, and then it flows out into a life lived in agreement and alignment with the word. So come be our teacher, please. In Jesus' name, we all said amen and amen. Advent is about Christ and about God coming to us in our darkness and in our mess. That's why I love, I mean, I love it for 20 reasons, but I love that. He comes to us. When we, the human race, we are, as we read in chapter 8, we are insatiably hungry to fix the problem that we all feel, but none of us can quite name the solution for. And in the midst of our cloudiness and chaos and confusion, praise God, God comes to us. Amen. Christianity alone says we are in darkness. We are unable to free ourselves or act our way into, into the light. We have not followed the counsel of God. When we look at the mess, we realize that all of us had contributed intentionally and unintentionally. Humanly speaking, there is no solution. That's what Christianity has historically confessed for 2,000 years. But a light has come. But a light has come. And so I want to walk through just a little bit of context of this passage, and then we're going to get to Wonderful Counselor here in a minute. I want to say this on the authority of God's word. God's response to human brokenness, despair, and sin is not to sweep it under his cosmic rug and turn the other, turn the other way. God's solution to our darkness is to enter it with his very presence and with his word. He came into our darkness. Naphtali and Zebulun, as I already shared, around in the 720s-ish, they were the first two is, uh, towns in Israel that were impacted by the incoming army, by Assyria, when they came and they took and they exiled the people of God. And God is saying those that felt the effects of, of, of their rebellion and sin first, to those people, a light is going to dawn. No more gloom, but glory. And if you read, I love this, in Matthew chapter 4, we're not going to go there. Yeah, okay, we'll go there. Because I want you to get in your Bible and look at it yourself. In Matthew 4, when Jesus begins his ministry, look what it says in verse 12. After John the Baptist is put in prison, verse, verse 12 of chapter 4, Jesus withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, Verse 13, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali. 720-something years later, Jesus is in the very place Isaiah prophesied almost 800 years before he broke into the earth. This is cool, in my opinion. Okay. And then it says this, verse 14, he did this. He set up shop right here to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, which we just read. 
land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, to people living in darkness, they've seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. So I love when the Bible just comes right out and tells us, this is that. Amen. This prophecy, Isaiah 9, I studied it. I have a lot to say. I won't even say 10% of it. But suffice it to say, Jesus Christ has fulfilled and broken into that land of darkness, literally in our land of darkness now with his healing, rescuing, saving presence. In, on, on those, I, I love the language of Isaiah 9. They're not just, they're not just dabbling in darkness. They were trapped and, and suffocating with that thick Isaiah 25 and 6, that blanket of darkness and death. In other words, there was no way we were going to solve our way out of this. Someone had to come to us and rescue us. And, and Matthew, the gospel writer, says that Isaiah 9 prophecy, those who are in a land of death and darkness, Jesus is that great light that has dawned in the midst of the, 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 the shadowy land of death. I love this language. This road, I've actually been there in Israel. Uh, the, the way of the, the, the Galilee of the Gentiles, this way connected three continents. And why did Jesus set up shop there and not in Jerusalem? Well, that's not the point of the sermon today, but instead of hanging out with the elites up on the mountains in Jerusalem in the city of David, he's out here in the, amongst where there's the biggest population of Gentiles. In other words, Isaiah's seeing a day, not just when he's gonna bring back the Jewish people from their exile and sin, but Jesus is gonna be the savior of all people. Can someone say amen? So Jesus is setting up shop on this, it's the king's way that, that connected three of the major continents. And it's right here, in the travel of the world, the light is going to come and bring good news. As a result of this light, verse 3 of Isaiah 9, you will multiply the nation, you will increase its joy, and they will rejoice before you as a joy at harvest and as, as warriors dividing the plunder. Again, eyes up and open, go back to Isaiah 9, because what we're seeing is the undoing of Isaiah chapter 8, verse 20. Look at this in 21. If anyone does not speak according to the word, they have no light of dawn. They will be distressed and hungry. Say that with me, distressed and hungry. And they will roam the land famished. But look what it says in Isaiah 9, 3. As a, as a result of, hello for us, Jesus coming, they're not going to be distressed. They're not going to be hungry and famished. But what does it say in verse 3? They're going to rejoice with a joy like it's harvest time. So what happens? Listen, what happens when we refuse this? Because this gets to the point of our first phrase this week, which is wonderful counselor. When we don't listen to the counsel of God, when we refuse his wisdom, when we, when we say his word is not sufficient, when we think that the way that leads to life is the way that seems right to us and not him, what does it result in? Does it result in joy and harvest and plundering a battlefield that we didn't even win? and enjoying their spoils? Or does it look like distress, endless wandering and roaming, and always being famished, hungry for the next fix? Thank you, Timothy. That one. That's what happens when we reject God's word, and we reject his counsel, 
his wisdom and his way, it doesn't lead us to the promised land. It leads us backwards to the, to the place of the two biggest myths of will I be safe and will there be enough? What we see from Isaiah's prophecy, when we refuse the counsel of God, which think we're going to get there in a minute, why it's such good news that he's a wonderful counselor. When we reject his word and his wisdom, his will and his way, it leads us to a place of scarcity, to a place of fear, to a place of we're left to fend for ourselves. But when we allow his light to dawn over our lives and we respond, hello, what's the very first message that Matthew, should have just kept my finger there, Matthew 4, after the light dawns, what's the very first thing he says to us? Repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. What does repent mean? Not a trick question. Come on, Bible people. Turn around and more specifically at metanoia, it literally means change your mind. Get a new counselor. Stop listening to the father of lies. Listen to the wonderful counselor. This is why you're going to love this first phrase by the time the message is over, that he has come to us as a wonderful counselor. It is so, I just, I'm, 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 I love this. They're in darkness, they're in exile, they're in famished, they're, they're, they're distressed, they're not dwelling in the land in safety. Why? They've refused the word of their God. They've refused to keep listening to his wise counsel. Jesus shows up and is like, I'm that light, baby. I'm the dawning light. I'm here in Zebulun and The good news is for the whole world. Everyone's going to see it. And then his first message is, so change the way you think. Change the voice you let influence, the counsel that influences your attitudes, your, ap- your appetites, your affections, and your ultimate allegiance. That's what repent means. Stop, rethink, and go a new way. Isn't it interesting, the first phrase of Isaiah 9-6, the child that's born and the son that's given, the first phrase, the first thing he's going to come and be is our wonderful counselor. Who, who mediates to us the will, the wisdom, and the word of God. By the way, what does John actually call him? The, the word. Jesus is the wise counselor incarnate. Okay, you guys don't think it's cool yet. I'm going to get there. It's going to be cool before it's all done. So instead of fam- famishness, instead of scarcity, there's joy, there's going to be harvest, and there's going to be plunder. Praise God. Verse 4. For the yoke of their burden and the bar across their shoulders will be of the oppressor will be broken as in the day of Midian. I love this. Remember the Midianites? Who has ever heard of the story of Gideon? Just say amen. Did God need his original 30,000 army to defeat the 150,000 or so Midianites? He needed 300. So this, this rescue that the son given, child born, Jesus brings about, He didn't need a great army. In fact, he only needed one faithful man to accomplish the ultimate exodus. That's what the yoke of slavery is. He's taking them back to the exodus story. And then he's reminding him the way that God delivers is not by many. It doesn't even need few. He just needed one to come bring his great salvation. And that one is the child born son given Jesus Christ. So this is what he's, this is the prophetic promise. He's going to shatter their yoke. He's going to rescue the human race, Jew and Gentile, from their slavery to sin and their slavery to self and shame. And he's going to rescue them. He's going to break that yoke off their back. Aren't you thankful you don't have to be a slave to sin anymore? And he's going to do it just like he did through Gideon. 
the mighty warrior that was hiding in the wine press. He's going to do it through one humble man, Jesus Christ. He's going to win a greater battle, not just against 150,000, but he's going to crush and defeat the enemy. And he's going to do it in a way that surprises all of us. Verse 5, all of their boots of trampling warriors and garments rolled in blood are going to become fuel for the fire. What he's saying is he's going to win the victory so part of us in the cleanup and the, the d- dividing the spoils is we get to partake of the victory of a battle we could never win, but someone else won for us. This is a prophetic, exact prophetic echo to Isaiah chapter 2, verse 2 through 6, when this prophetic vision of when, when, when the nations stream to the mountain of God, they learn the ways of Yahweh. The, the law goes out from Jerusalem out from Zion, and the peoples and nations learn to live according to the will and way of the king on that mountain. It says that nation will no longer uh, pick up weapon against nation. They'll beat their weapons of warfare and turn them into weapons of agriculture. And so Isaiah 9.5, he's saying all of the boots that warriors used to have to wear and all the blood-stained garments that all of, of the battles throughout all of history, eventually war itself will be overthrown by this child-born son given. I think that's pretty good. Unless you like war, I don't like it. It's a poetic language the prophet gives us that there's coming a day when war will be over then the question that obviously, if you're the first to hear this prophecy of Isaiah, how are we going to enjoy the spoils, eat the harvest, win the battle? How is this yoke going to be broke off our neck? Who's going to overthrow our oppressor and his rod? But you're probably thinking some mighty, and then Isaiah 9, 6, a child. Come on, it's divine like, got you. A child, a son. This is God's rescue operation. It's so offensive to our our minds and our generation and our culture where we need bigger, brighter, better, stronger, mightier. It's a child. It's a son. And I love when Jesus comes principally, what is his message? Well, that's not a good question. Come to me, all of you are burdened and weary, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke, my life and lifestyle, my teaching. Isn't it amazing? He doesn't just break off our yoke of slavery. He then invites us to carry his yoke with him to learn how to live a new life. Come to me, he says, and you will find rest, flourishing, and fulfillment. And he will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Okay, blah, blah, blah. You got it all. So why do we need a wonderful counselor? Okay, the reason we're doing this series is I was literally just seeking the Lord, and I don't, you know, God talks to me in different ways. He talks to all of us because we're his sheep, and his sheep know his voice, John 10, amen? But as I was speaking, I, it was like, I'm a, I'm a dramatic person. I'm not going to say it was like lightning, but the Lord was like, Chad, the four names represent the sequential order with which I restore humans from the fall of sin. So go back to the garden. At its core, what was the fall about? I mean, we could debate it or whatever. Did God really say? Okay, we'll just read it so you don't, you don't have to believe me. Go to Genesis 3. I want to hear those pages turn. Come on, I, I have a new fire under my belly about the word. People, get in the word. Open it 
get your smartphone, whatever it is. Read it yourself. Don't believe me. Read it yourself. That's why there's no screens today. I want us to look. I want you to see it with your eyes. The fall in chapter Genesis chapter 3, he already told them, you're in my image. I've given you rule, authority, power, and dominion over all the things created. I, I planted a garden for you to cultivate, to steward, to till, so that Eden was a prototype what I wanted to do with the entire world. I wanted you to extend the barriers of Eden out into the world that was not perfectly ordered as a garden temple. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say? My argument, the reason we need a wonderful counselor first is because we listen to the counsel of another voice that incited our rebellion, treason, and fall into sin. Is that a fair thesis? Do you agree with me? I mean, I, I, you can debate it, I guess, but did God really say? So, so the, like, he planted a seed of doubt that the wisdom, will, and way, Allah, the counsel of God, should not be trusted. How many know all he needed was a seed to then plant a lie to paint a picture of a future world where they were gods, God wasn't, they were the ultimate, God wasn't, that their wisdom would be sufficient, naming good and evil, that could lead them to a place of flourishing. But at its core, then look, okay, just look what happens. Did he say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And did he say that? No. He said you can eat from every tree in the garden except for one. So God should not be trusted. God is not good. If you do it his way, life diminishes and shrinks instead of expands and explodes with vibrance, abundance, flourishing. So he's twisting God's words, which, by the way, that's why I want you to know how to read this and to love it, because we are in a day of, of 2 Timothy 4 when people aren't putting up with sound teaching anymore, and they want teachers just to say happy things that tickle their ears, but that will not lead you to Garden 2.0. That will lead you back to a land of famine and of, of, of desperation, of fear and scarcity. The only way to flourishing is through the word, will, and way of God. If you agree, say amen. And so you have to know this. I'm just, again, Wednesday night, set a fire under my belly, under my wherever. I don't know. <laughs> it just set a fire. We're going to know our word together. No, God did not say that. He, you're twisting God's counsel. He said, so the devil wanted them to believe God's first word was a restrictive word, but God's first word was a permissive word. I made it all for you. Eat it all except for one thing. Do you see the difference of believing a God whose first word is don't versus a God who is, look all that I made for you. It's all for you except for one thing. Are you seeing the picture that the enemy is painting of God? Crummy, cruddy caricature. He's mean and he's trying to hold out on you and restrain and restrict you versus he's amazing. He's super, super smart. He gave you everything but one thing. You're going to need to trust him as he grows you up, just like it says in Luke chapter 2, verse 42 and onward, just like Jesus Christ grew up in wisdom and stature, favor with God and man, so he wanted to grow up Adam and Eve with wisdom, favor, stature, and blessing. That's why he's called the last Adam, Jesus Christ. So, okay, wonderful counselor. 
Let's just go on and finish this just so you can believe me. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the trees in the garden. She should have said all. So she's even re-quoting a half truth. But God did say you must not eat from the tree that's in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die. Lie number two. The servant said to the woman, for God knows when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The woman saw it was good, food, pleasing to the eye, desirable, and ate it. And then the eyes, and then she gave it to her husband, which that's a whole sermon. Okay, forget it. I just, yeah. Adam didn't do his job. He didn't rule and subdue, and he didn't help his wife. <sighs> the eyes of both were open. They realized they were naked. So I want to sh- show and just say and make the point, and then I'll move on. It was the rejection of his wonderful counsel that led them to death, shame, isolation, blame shifting, and brokenness. At its core, it was rejecting the wonderful counsel of God. Isn't it interesting? Jesus fulfills Isaiah 9's prophecy, and his first message is repent, rethink everything. You seeing it, just nod at me, just so I don't have to keep making the same point in seven ways. We need a wonderful counselor who will, who will not just show us the way, but embody and then say, follow, I am the word. I am wise counsel in flesh. I am the logos made flesh. That's why I love all of John 1. It wasn't that God was like, you know, I'm gonna try to keep like explaining to you through, you know, tablet 2.0 or through different prophecy or angels, all of the ways he spoke to Israel in Hebrews 1, 1 through 4. No, I'm gonna speak through you through my word made flesh. The, the, the Proverbs 8, when, when you read about wisdom throughout Proverbs and it takes on this, this the, the, like theophany-like language where wisdom has a, has a head and eyes and ear, did you know that the wisdom of God is 1 Corinthians 1.24? It's Jesus Christ himself made manifest. So the first thing Jesus comes to us is he's our supernatural counselor. He is the king. Listen, riddle me this. A king's kingdom is either made or broken through the decisions that that king makes. So praise God that the king of the Isaiah 9-7 of the everlasting kingdom, the decisions and the wisdom with which he reigns and rules is perfect. In the Hebrew, there's not really a word for supernatural, but it's the best description as I studied it about what this word wonderful counselor, the closest thing in English we could get to is he's a supernatural counselor, which by the way, is what they said of Jesus. They're like, this guy didn't go to rabbi school. How does he have all this knowledge? Just go read John 7, 17 through 20. They're offended because he's so smart. He didn't get taught. He's a supernatural counselor because he's the incarnate word. He was with God in the beginning. He was God in the beginning and all things we see was created in and through and then Colossians 1, 15 through 20 and for him. He is the logic of the creation itself. That's where we get our word logos. He's he's the most brilliant, wise, smart person in all of creation, the man Christ Jesus. Oh, he's a wonderful counselor. He's not just one who points to a way or to a body of truth or to a way to get at life. No, he is the way, the truth, and the life. So the first thing we need is one who will come in the midst of our gloomy darkness and our when we're trapped in a shadowy land of death, we need a wonderful counselor 
who will light up our darkness and then reveal the counsel that was originally rejected, but now we can repent and come back under the wise tutelage of our God. That's why it's in 200, I think 295 times, 299 times, the word disciple is used in the Bible. Disciple means what? Student. Students of what? The wonderful counsel of the will, word, and wisdom of our God. More specifically, a student of Jesus who is the incarnate word, wisdom with skin and bone on. Are you tracking with me? I love it. I'm happy. Okay. Some people get happy with me so I can be done. Okay. This is, we need a wonderful counselor. If you agree, say amen. In the beginning, we doubted God's word. We refused God's goodness. We were deceived by the empty promises and claims of the devil, which drove a wedge between God's self and others. And the first step to coming back is repentance, rethinking everything in the light of the wisdom that showed up with skin and bone, the incarnate word, Jesus Christ. That was good. That was a good little summary. I'm done. Jesus has come. Okay, I'm going to skip that. It's all good stuff, but I love it. But here's the tricky part. We love our darkness. That's the thing about darkness. You, how, hello, Pastor Ron used to say, how do you know when you're deceived? You don't, because you're deceived. And the bummer about this great, glorious light that has dawned in the shadowy land of death, this Isaiah 9, Matthew 4 prophetic promise found in Jesus, is people love their darkness. Why? Because one of the principal lies the enemy has sown in the human heart is if you really came to God as you were, he wouldn't want you, he wouldn't like you, he wouldn't accept you. So not only do we love our darkness, John 3, 19, we now applaud and approve of others, Romans 1, 25 through, through the 32. We now applaud and approve others who join us in our same darkness because it feels better when others join you in your mess than when you're alone in your mess. Can I get an amen? And before we know it, Isaiah 5, 20 through 21 has happened. Now we're calling evil good and good evil. And the lights and the torches we're living by, Isaiah chapter 50, they're not leading us into light. Our light has become darkness. And it's this whole cycle of John 3, 19 through 21. We love our darkness. Why? Verse 20, because of the fear that if our deeds were exposed, he would kill us. He would banish us. But how many know he wants to expose us in our darkness and sin, not to kill us, but to heal us? Come on, somebody say amen. He wants to expose us. When he said in Genesis 3, 9, where are you? He wanted us to come and confess our true reality so that he could draw us back to himself and establish us again in his wonderful counselor, in his word and his will and wisdom and way. So I love the first thing he comes to us as is a wonderful counselor. There is a way that seems right to man, Proverbs 14, 12, but in the end, it leads to death. Jesus shows up and he's all, I am the way to life. I am not just a light. I am the John 8, 12, the light of the world. All who follow me will never walk in darkness. I have come to declare the truth, John 8, 31 and 2, so that if you abide in that truth, that truth won't just set you free. It'll bring you into realms of freedom. Your, 
your, our little minds have only dreamed of, and that freedom is found with Christ at the center, his word, his will, and wisdom reigning over the, the throne of our hearts. We worshiped and served created things. We exchanged the truth of God for a lie. So when God speaks the wonderful counselor into a world that has lost its mind, he's inviting us to experience life as he truly designed it. Isn't it something in 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, the God of this age, lowercase, what did Paul describe his principal effect on the world? He has blinded the minds of unbelievers. It's in the realm of counsel, the realm of our thoughts. Our minds are blind that need, okay, I'm just going to read it because it's too good. Go to 2 Corinthians 4. I love this verse, guys. Just get with me. We're almost done. Oh, we're doing good. Come on, somebody. We're doing good. I think we're doing good. 2 Corinthians 4.4, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, Ugh, who is the image of God. So how many know we don't just wake up and go, oh, I'm going to respond to the light. No, that's why we're a praying church or we're an aspiring want to be praying church because we know no one comes to the conclusion to leave their darkness, repent of their sin, and Get under the yoke of Jesus apart from the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit. If you agree, say amen. The Spirit has to draw them. I can't make them. I can preach. I can be a witness. I can do good deeds. I can have a prophetic word that unlocks their heart by the Holy Spirit. I can do all that I can to do what God's called me to do. But at the end of the day, it is still always and only the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit that gives the illumination necessary for someone to leave their darkness and to see the beautiful face of Jesus as the light. That's why we're praying. We want God to do what only God can do, and we want to partner with him. Verse 5, we don't preach ourselves. We preach Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. And I love verse 6, one of my lifers. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine into our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge Huh? Wonderful counselor, okay? Of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. God has spoken his word into a world that has lost its mind, and that word is Jesus Christ. And when someone responds to that word and that light rises in their heart, they have enough understanding that God is offering them life and forgiveness and healing, adoption, a brand new eternal reward and future. When someone responds to that, Paul is telling us in verse 6, it's like a new creation. The God who said, let there be light at creation says to those trapped in darkness, let there be light in their heart and in their head by letting the light of Christ come to dwell within them. Are you tracking with me? This is the wonderful counselor's job. This is what he does. He's the only one who has a remedy to the blindedness of unbelieving minds. Those who rejected the wonderful counsel of God can come under the yoke of the wonderful counselor himself. Hallelujah. I like that. You're in the yoke of the smartest person ever. He's so smart. How many need his counsel all the time everywhere? 
I mean, this is not, this is not an irrelevant talk. I need his counsel all day. Lord, my daughter's 11. I don't know how to raise a little tiny growing woman. I need counsel. Come on, somebody. I'm just picking on my I'm just saying, I got three boys. I got a, we're a church. I don't, God, what are we doing? I'm, I'm involved with all these things around the country. I, got, I, I want to be a great husband. All these leaders are falling into sin. Lord, I, want to, I need your counsel to shut every door in my heart or life that's even open to an ounce of what, what would it look like to review. No, you don't understand. I need his counsel 24-7, 365. I need him to mediate his word and wisdom everywhere I go. God, what do you, how, how does this look according to your word and way? You track and you're a business person. Lord, I need wisdom how not to cut corners and do business like everyone else whose minds are blind because they're in, enslaved to the enemy. I need his counsel for everything. Praise God, he's a supernatural counselor. And praise God, when you're in him, you have access to the Colossians 2, 2, and 3. You have to see how it's all connected. That's my number one desire as your pastor. I want you to love the word because it's, it's so good. Colossians 2, 2, and 3 says this, that in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So when I have a problem at school or at work or in my marriage or in my friendships, in my body, in my finances, in my whatever it is, who do I go to as the smartest person? I go to the one who is the incarnate word. I go to his word. I say, God, speak to me. I go to the, the community of saints where we just might be able to rub two of our nickels together and have wisdom to face what we're facing. That was a joke. There's a lot of wise people in the room. Oh, I'm so happy. I love that he's not only called the treasure of wisdom and knowledge, he's not only called the incarnate word, he's not only called the wisdom of God, as if we had to guess in, in 1 Corinthians 1.24, but he's also called the reality. Everyone say, the reality. And Colossians 2.17, I love it. Those people who lose connection to the head, that's what Paul's arguing if you read Colossians, they're trying to add to the gospel. They're trying to say, I need to, do, I need to believe in Jesus and believe 20 other things. And Paul says, when you try to add to the gospel, you're not getting closer to God. You're actually subtracting and diluting the pure message. And he, he describes it like this. You actually lose connection to the head, which is Jesus. And from the head, flow all, through all the joints and bones and marrows, flows all the vibrancy and vitality we need for life. If we lose connection to the head, we lose connection to everything. Paul, and then he just says, Christ is the reality. <laughs> okay, I like that. So that's good stuff. Amen. I already said all that. I just, I end with this. Back to Matthew 4, and we're going to go. So when we listen to his counsel, we don't just need someone to come to, to, to reveal the truth. That's principally what we needed. Amen. But next week, it's mighty God. I can't wait to talk about the mighty God and how he exerted his might. And then I'm excited to say when he, okay, when he deals with sin and Satan as our mighty God and warrior king, he becomes our father. Care, I, uh, I love it. And then when you do things the way he said from way back to his counsel, his might, and his fatherhood, it's the shalom. It's the prince of peace. So we're going to unpack those over these next few weeks. It's going to be amazing. But I love, just, just to drive it home one more time, for to us a child is born, a son is given, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of 
peace. Back to Matthew 4, just so you can see it. I just, again, I should have kept my hand there because I'm just back. We're living there. Land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. The king as we talked about last week's sermon on, the, on your kingdom come, he's the auto basilia. He's the kingdom of God in person. He's also the wisdom of God in person. So this week, happy repenting. I'm not saying license to sin. I'm using it in, the, I think, the deeper sense of repentance. Happy 24-7, 365-ing, responding to God's wise counsel as you'll keep rethinking coming into alignment and agreement with what he has said and what he is saying. That's what I mean by repentance. It's that renewal of your, of your mind, Romans 12, 2, right? Through the word of God. It's that, it's that washing with water through the renewal of the word. Hebrews chapter, uh, uh, Ephesians chapter 5, 24 through 29. How many want to be washed and renewed by his word this week? You want to come under his counsel. The way you do that is through Jesus's first ever sermon. And it's still his sermon. Repent. Keep rethinking it. Keep, keep coming to me and allowing my wise rule and counsel fill up your life so you can leave your land of famish, distress, and gloom, and you can live in my kingdom, my kingdom of light. Colossians 1, 13 and 14. He rescues us from a shadowy land of darkness, and he brings us into the kingdom of his son, the kingdom of light. So let's pray. Come and stand on your feet. And just right now, just as we close and as we go, any area you need his wonderful counselor, just, just commit right now. Just say, Lord, I want to find out what you say about that. I want to find out what your word says about my life. I want to find out what your word says about my household. I want to know what your word says about how I handle myself at work. I want to... I need your wonderful counsel. And then just begin to bring those areas that are out of step and out of sync under his lordship. Just say, Lord, I surrender. I need your light, the light, your word, hello, your word is a light and a lamp. And just say, Holy Spirit, I, I want to live under the wonderful counsel of Jesus' kingship this week. And just right now, if there's any area where you're in covenant, just like Israel of old, if you're in any agreement with the land of darkness, just say, Lord, I break agreement. I, I repent. I confess, Lord, if there's any darkness in me, let your light come into my heart right now. Just ask him, let your light come into my mind. Come with your forgiveness. Come with your wisdom. Come with your strength and your grace. I can't get there myself. I need you. Come, Holy Spirit. And just tell him, Lord, I want to forsake. I want to come out of any darkness I'm in, and I want to walk in step with your yoke, your yoke that is light and your burden, and your 
voice in your heart that is gentle and humble and kind and your way that leads to rest this week. Lord, we love your wonderful counsel. We love your word so much. Your word is what leads us to freedom because it leads us to you. And so, Lord, I pray for our church family, those here and watching online, that you would put a longing in our heart for your counsel, for your word this week. And that, God, instead of filling our hearts and minds with a billion other things, Lord, let us become a church, a people who just live in communion with our God through his word by the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, we all said amen. Amen. All right, I love you guys. Here's your blessing. Put your hands out before you go. You can't go. Lock the doors. Kidding. Kidding. I want to pray this blessing. I alluded to it earlier, but it it was Jesus, and I was wrong. It's not verse 42. It's 40. Thank you. Luke chapter 2. May you grow and become strong, filled with wisdom, with the grace of God that is upon you. And then it's verse 52. May you grow in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man this week. May the Lord's face shine upon you and give you peace. In Jesus' name, amen.